This is one of three podcasts from us. Follow all three to never miss out. I'm Market to Market producer Josh Bittner. Here is one of the offerings now. This is the Friday, August 26, 2022 version of the market analysis segment for Market to Market. Individual commodities struggled to move independently as a grain state tour provided further insight to the development or lack thereof of this year's crop. For the week, the nearby wheat contract added 30 cents, while the September corn contract, well, it jumped 43 cents or 7 percent. The window on timely rains is quickly closing in the soy complex. The September contract strengthened to $1.17 or 8 percent. September meal improved 29.40 per ton. December cotton expanded $1.67 per hundredweight. Over in the dairy parlor, September Class 3 milk futures gained 47 cents. The livestock market was down. October cattle dropped to 20. September feeders cut to 55. And the October lean hog contract shed to 48. In the currency markets, U.S. dollar index increased 66 ticks. October crude oil gained 266 per barrel. Comex Gold contracted by $11 per ounce, and the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index added almost 19 points to finish at 6.88 even. Joining us now to provide some insight is Ted Seifried. Ted's been everywhere. He's been up, down, in, out, all over this grain belt. We're going to go to wheat first, and I would have put it behind us, but the wheat market, is that moving in contrast in with lockstep this crop tour of corn and soybeans? Wheat kind of has its own things going on, right? Um, and, you know, about midweek, there were reports that Russia is stepping it up or, or looking for a new initi- initiative in the Ukraine, uh, which is part of the reason why you had, like, crude oil sharply higher earlier in the week. Uh, but that certainly affects the wheat market, too, uh, because a lot of the areas that now Russia has, has gained control of, there's a lot of wheat there. So now is that Russian wheat? Uh, either way... Um, Wheat is still very much looking at the global situation, the macroeconomics of everything, but then also, yeah, paying attention to what's happening in the, uh, in the crop tour. And, you know, when, when you start hearing really concerning corn numbers, you start saying, hmm, wheat, feed, residual, hmm, I wonder how much of that uh, lower supply in corn means we're going to have to lean a little bit more on the wheat. So yeah, there's a, always, uh, wheat being such a, a global entity, there's always a lot of things pushing and pulling wheat. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think uh, the corn's reaction to the crop tour had something to do with uh, wheat trading this week as well. You spent a lot of time in the western Corn Belt, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, parts of Minnesota. As you look at the corn crop, final number, 168.1 bushels to the acre, crop of 13.759. Did the tour open your eyes one way or another? Are we specifically talking about corn? corn? Yeah. Uh, Yes. Uh, I would say in the now eight years that I've done crop tour, um, most of them when I come back, I think, you know, there I saw some interesting things and, you know, it was a good experience, uh, but also, you know, it was pretty much what I was expecting before I left. This is the year where I had an idea in mind, and I think all of us did, uh, and then we get there, and certainly after the first day, we're like, wow, this is, there's something going on here. It can't be, can't be the same when we get into the irrigated fields in Nebraska. And then you do, and it's like, oh, no. 
Yep, this is definitely much different than what we were expecting. Uh, I think some of the headlines on some of the bigger news agencies were shocking. Um, it was fairly shocking. It was uh, really eye-opening, yes, for, for corn yields. You keep track of Twitter more than anybody does that comes on the show. You see pictures every year mm-hmm. from someone saying it's dry or it's wet or yep. it's something. Yeah. This year, the dry pictures and the dry story... Mm-hmm. Is it for real, and what does a producer need to do, given the data that you just helped harvest before they harvest their crop? Right. So you bring up a very good point, right? In years past, we've said, uh, you know, okay, here's pictures of dry crops. And, and look, in any given year, even if it's a really good year, we're going to find some pictures of something that's not good. Somebody missed out. It's just a little tiny corridor or something like that. You're always going to find those pictures. And then you're also going to say, hey, you know, we've had years, especially in Nebraska, where we've had a lot of stuff showing up on the drought monitor, but then we get in to check yields, and it's really not that bad. A lot of that has to do with irrigation, but also, you know, with the seed te- technology that we're using, at times we've started to say, you know, is corn bulletproof at this point? And the answer to that, after this year, is a resounding no. But it's got to be that combination of drought and heat. If you have one or the other, you, you're still going to have yields that are better than, better than what you would think they would be. But if you have both of those at the same time, and in particular the heat, that's the one that's really going to have a negative effect on a corn crop. And, and we really, really saw that this year. Uh, again, irrigated fields in Nebraska that you would expect to say, well, we know the dry land's not going to be great, but the irrigated fields, they're irrigated It'll be there. Maybe it's not going to be their best year, but it'll be pretty consistently good. And you get in and you start looking around and you start pulling ears and you start, you know, doing your count. And you're like, wow, you know, this, this field should be a 210 and it's at a 168. What's going on here? And you move to the next one and you find the same thing and you say, wow, okay, there's really, there's really some issues here. And, and you can see in just how the corn cobs have developed that heat had been a problem sort of throughout. We had two big batches of heat yeah. here, and the dry has continued, and it's missed and hit and missed, and things turn on a dime. So I guess I'll try to help us consume this data mm-hmm. and make decisions moving forward. Let's look at the December contract. Uh, I mean, we're up 41 cents. That's 6.5% this week. Yeah. Is that thing headed higher? You know, here, the thing about that, Paul, is that if we were at 430 corn, the answer to that would absolutely be yes. But we are already at some fairly high prices. And while we saw some soybean export sales through the week, uh, daily flash sales, we didn't get the actual export sales report this week, um, we didn't see the corn flash sales, right? So uh, personally, I'm a little concerned about the export number that the USDA has on their balance sheet. And if if you're going to cut exports, uh, then, then a yield reduction is less of a, a big shock to the market or, or, or a reason to go sharply higher. The amount that Pro Farmer lowered their yield, which I don't know if I'd be that aggressive on it. Uh, I, I, I'm still in the 170s, but anywho. Um, that's a low enough number that, yeah, you would say there, there probably is going to have to be some price rationing because you've got similar issues happening in China with the heat and drought that they're seeing there, look at Europe, look at the issues with the Ukraine. There's a global tightness in, in corn. And so when we have an issue like this and, and a surprising drop of seven, eight bushel a, an acre on a national scale, 
that's going to cause some waves, yes. Spent a whole bunch of time on corn. We can't ignore the soybean contract. That is a 4.53 crop with a 51.7 bushels per acre. What stood out in beans to you? That was the big shock, right? I mean, there were, there were both shocks in opposite directions. Uh, as we started going through crop tour, and I started saying it uh, on, on my media interviews that I was doing on Tuesday, you know, the corn's really a lot worse than expected. And the beans aren't great, but it's not as bad as the corn. And that sort of transition to, you know, actually, there's, the beans are, are not so bad when we're going through Iowa. And then you get, so you see a, a soybean yield that at, at 51.7, that's only slightly below the USDA's 51.9, just, just a hair. And then 51.9, by the way, nobody thought that was possible on an August report. There was one out of 16 analysts that had that uh, soybean yield going higher from a 51.5. So... We basically confirmed that the USDA is right, uh, or the, at least the potential is there for the USDA's number, more or less. You know, uh, when most people thought that was just not even a thing. So this was a, a tour that that cut the corn yield very aggressively, but then also confirmed a higher soybean yield than what people had been thinking uh, uh, three weeks ago, and that is a very interesting combination. That's not something you see very often. So now what do you say? Because I'm going to say that pro farmer number was a pretty bearish number for soybeans, but the corn number is really very bullish. So how do we rectify that? Monday, Sunday night Monday, is going to be really very interesting. Well, here's something else I want you to discuss. Glenn in Ohio. Mm -hmm. Hi, Glenn. I'm saying it for Ted's behalf. Uh, Now that we have an idea of where the bushels are going to be grown and stored at harvest time, can we expect to see a huge change in historic basis levels in corn and beans in the coming marketing year? See, Glenn's asking this because he's in Ohio. And Ohio, generally speaking, enjoys positive basis. That's just historically how that is. But... If there's a whole lot of grain on the east, which, by the way, I don't know if that's really the case. It's really right down the heart is where the, the big grain is, starting in Minnesota and go down. Anywho, um, yeah, you can see that because, you know, the guys out west are really going to have much smaller crops than what they're, they're normally used to. Um, and so their basis is going to be better. But I, if, if I'm Glenn and I'm sitting in Ohio, I'm less worried about what the fluctuations in my basis are going to be than if you're in Nebraska, and specifically if you're a Nebraska end user. Okay, let's talk about an end user in Nebraska that's the cattle feeder right now. Yeah. They had a chance to buy some grain over the last two to three weeks. Wasn't a great deal. No, not a sort. Has that window closed on the feeder right now? Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, like I said, you, you got a, what I would think is a fairly bearish soybean number. And, and, you know, you had been factoring in strength throughout the week. So if you have a, a healthy drop in soybeans early next week, maybe corn wants to retrace. But I would be, I'd be looking at dips in corn as, as buying opportunities for end users. I, I'll say this, Paul. Right now, I think more than any other year in the last 10, since 2012, you have a tremendous amount of risk in either direction for both corn and soybeans. From a supply side, you have risk of a $3 rally. From a demand side, you have risk of a global recession and a big slowdown uh, and, and a big trimming of demand and exports in particular. So the amount of risk for both sides is higher than I've seen it, again, since 2012. And I think that is, uh, that's got to be a strategy. You know, you, you can't just, uh, you can't be complacent, for one, but if you're not going to be complacent, you have to do something, but then you have to figure out a way and use a strategy that leaves the side open that you want to see, right? For producers, you've got you to do something to, to 
to manage your downside risk while leaving the upside open and vice versa for end users. But there's got to be some protections taken in these markets because of the violent swings that could be possibly coming in either direction. All right. I, I, we'll get to cattle in a moment. I need to talk about hogs quick. Yeah. Uh, again, lower this week. Cash is lower. There's a negotiated run that was a big sale. Any turn for the hog producer here coming? Higher? Yeah, you know, I think we found some pretty good support on the chart. Um, you know, if we are going to head into a bit more of an economic slowdown, you know, the recession talk comes back, and domestically and globally, I think hogs find quite a bit of interest because of the cheaper protein potential and, and more, uh, uh, more demand potential for the cheaper pro- protein. Um, I'm fairly bullish hogs because I think it is going to be a bit of a tough fall into winter. I think the Fed's going to get very aggressive, even more so than what they have been. Um, and I think that that conversation is going to come back into the mix. And I think there's, there's maybe some good news for hogs, the demand side of hogs, further on down the line. Uh, at least for now, I think we've broken enough off the highs that I don't see a whole lot of downside potential from here. Uh, you're at some very key support, but if you break that key support, obviously that's a problem. So you gotta, you got to watch the charts pretty closely right now. Uh, but at the moment, and, and coming out of this week, I feel like the break has happened. I'm starting to feel like it might be time to turn and at least try to bounce back towards those highs. And we're going to bounce to the exits now. Ted, thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Paul. Good to see you. All right. We're going to put a pause on this discussion and this analysis, and we're going to continue with Ted and answer more of your submitted questions in our Market Plus segment. You can find that on our website of markettomarket.org in both podcast form and also on YouTube. All of these resources, they are free. The email inbox is now open. If you have thoughts on stories, analysis, or you just want to say hello, send us an email to market-to-market at iowapbs.org. Next week, we look at the push to move data from analog to digital to discover new opportunities. Thank you so very much for watching. Have a great week.